very much. Appreciate that good humble prayer. And ask that we continue to pray as I stand before you. Hope. In addition to the public prayer, Brother Paul led that we've been praying. And we need to keep praying. That doesn't need to be the last prayer that was prayed as we begin uh, the preaching service. But may we continue to pray. Thank, so thankful for that good humble prayer. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. The second chapter of the book of Philippians, and we'll allude to many more verses, but this is where I want us to primarily be the Lord being our helper. Verse 12, the Apostle Paul would write to the church at Thessalonica and say, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The Apostle Paul reminds them that they're beloved and what a special blessing for us to know that we are each other's beloved and that we're beloved of the Lord and that we're beloved of each other. What a tremendous blessing that is. And he says, And as ye have obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, the Apostle Paul was not there with them. He was penning this letter to them. But he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. This verse is not saying that you have to figure out or work out your eternal salvation. It's not saying that you have this choice and you better work it out. Uh, sometimes at work, I've, through the years, have dealt with different difficult situations and I may have a supervisor to tell me, you just got to work it out. And they may get it done, figure it out. That's not what this is saying. You'll notice it says God has worked something in and it tells us to work something out. The Lord did a great work in us in regeneration. When we were born again by his Holy Spirit, when we heard that life-giving voice of the Son of God, we were brought from a state of death and trespasses and sins into a state of life in the Lord Jesus. 
He put in our hearts, he did a work in our hearts. And he put within our hearts that ninefold fruit of the Spirit. And he's telling us that what he has worked in us, we need to work out, meaning make it manifest on the outside. Now in Galatians chapter 5.22, the Lord will list the things he put in us, that ninefold fruit of the Spirit. One of those is love. That's the first one. So the love he put in our heart, he says you need to work that to the outside so that others can see it. We need to show that love on the outside and we need to walk in that love. If you look in Galatians 5, after it lists all these ninefold fruit of the Spirit, and it says, as you live in the Spirit, he said, you need to walk in the Spirit. Needs to show in the way we live. It needs to show in the way we walk. It needs to show in the way we carry ourselves. There's a whole lot of way to show love and different children of God have different gifts in showing love. It may be we can show love when we bake something for somebody and give it to them. We can show love when we send a card. We can show love with a smile. We can show love with an encouraging word. We can show love with a kind embrace. We can show love when we do things around the meeting house. We can show love with a phone call, checking on somebody. We can show love with a text. There's all kind of ways to show love. But he says, what I've worked on the inside, that worked to the outside. Other things on those lists are joy. Brother Paul in his prayer mentioned to pray for this world and all that's going on in it. This world needs more love. This world needs more joy. Another thing in the list is peace. This world needs peace and it'll never come from an earthly leader, but grace and peace can only come from the Lord. And the Lord's put those things within us in the new birth. And he tells us to work those things to the outside. That others may see them. For us to walk in it. He goes on just a little bit later. And talks about. Well, first, I'll just read this. We won't comment on it till later, Lord being our helper. He goes on to say, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world holding forth 
the word of life. I take that word of life to to be the Lord Jesus himself and the truth about him and the gospel about him. And he says, hold forth the word of life. He said, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Now I'm going to tell you, if you've got a light shining in a super lit place, it may not show up that good. But I'm going to tell you, if you've got a light shining in a dark place, that light shows up. It is manifest. It gets people's attention. I couldn't think about looking at this verse where it says, holding forth the word of life and among whom you shine as lights in the world without thinking about the torch carrier at the Olympics. When somebody's got that torch and they are running with that torch and you ask somebody, who's the bearer of the torch? Nobody's going to have any trouble answering that question because it's obvious. The Apostle Paul is telling us what the Lord's put within us, we should work that out so much. This love, this joy, this peace, this long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, against such there is no law. He said it should be so obvious that we're holding forth the word of life, that we're kind of like that light bearer at the Olympics. Nobody has to ask. They know. By the way you live your life, by the way I live my life, by the way we live our lives, by the way we walk, nobody ought to ask where we stand if we love the Lord. And who gets the glory for that? The Lord does. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Any good thing we could ever do, he put within us. And he deserves all the honor and glory for it. We wouldn't want to be here this morning to worship him in spirit and in truth if he had not put that in our heart. And though it takes some obedience on our part to work out the salvation he put within us, it does take some obedience on our part. He still gets all the honor. He gets all the glory. And we should always have that sense, Lord, without you, We can do nothing. So when we do these things that please the Lord and that honor his name, we still say, Lord, you get all the glory. He said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I heard would hear the old timer say that if you put grease on the inside of a gourd, 
Pretty soon that grease will eventually work its way to the outside. It'll be manifest. And the works the Lord's done in our heart ought to be manifest. This is critically important in our world today because the world wants to tell us that what we think about the Lord, our love that we have for the Lord needs to be a secret thing. Yeah, it's fine for you to go to your church and all that, but don't be talking about that at the office. Don't be showing that at the schoolhouse or at the courthouse or at the place of work. But this says the direct opposite. He said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Brother Mark, why does it say that? Why does it say with fear and trembling? Because it is a tremendous responsibility. What he's saying here. It's a serious matter. It's a matter of duty. It's a matter of diligence. Those words, fear and trembling, are not used a whole lot of times together in the scriptures. They're used some. Let me show you one of the places it's used. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I will just read from the beginning of the chapter for a little context. The Apostle Paul is writing unto the church at Corinth, and he said, I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. He didn't come with man's wisdom. He didn't come with all the accolades of man. He said, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ, and him crucified. He said, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. He said, what I brought to you wasn't from the speech-making classes of the world. It wasn't an introduction into public speaking. It wasn't with the wisdom of men, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. The Apostle Paul said, I came unto you in fear and trembling. Why? Was he afraid that church at Corinth was going to beat him up? Was he afraid they were going to be mean to him? No. It's because the Apostle Paul realized the awesome responsibility of the proclamation of the gospel. And he said, I came to you in fear and in much trembling because the preaching of the gospel and the declaration of the truths of Almighty God is a serious business. And I don't want to get it wrong. 
He said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. I'll tell you, I would not want to listen to a minister of the gospel that stood behind this pulpit and was not in fear and trembling. It may not always show on the outside, but it better be there on the inside. But that's not just for the preachers. It's not just that my responsibility and my duty today is so high and so important that I ought to do it in fear and trembling, but it's also true of us all here today that our duty is so important that our working out what the Lord has put within us by His sweet hand of love and amazing grace what he's put in your heart, it's so important that we work that to the outside that we may hold forth the word of life, that we may shine as lights in a dark place. That's so important. We should do it in fear and much trembling. In respect to the Lord and in great desire to want to please him. You know, when I go to court and I have to testify, and I don't have to do that as, as much as I used to, but I've never gone to court and testified where I wasn't kind of in fear and trembling. It's not that I was afraid that the judge was going to yell at me or that the judge was going to be mean to me, but I realized the importance of it. I realized that what I say in court could mean that somebody goes to jail or somebody goes home. How long they go to prison. I realized that if I don't bring forth the truth as it should be brought forth, that somebody in the community could be assaulted or killed. It's an important matter. But what we deal with in the kingdom of God is even more important. That's in the government of men. But we're in the kingdom of God. And it's important business. It's not that we have a sphere of the Lord like he's some kind of monster. For he loves us. But we have such a respect for him. When I go to court, I want to please the judge. As federal probation officers, we're one of only two federal law enforcement that work in the judicial branch of government. One is us, and the other is the U.S. Supreme Court police. All other law enforcement are not in the judicial branch. So the judges are our bosses, and I want to please them. How much more do we want to please the Lord? He said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He put it within us. We wouldn't want to do anything good had he not done that work in our heart. 
You know, one of the problems with the criminal justice system today, and I've seen this throughout my career, where the prison system, the court system, wants to come up with some magic pill that says, hey, we can just do A, B, and C, and we'll get all these people that want to commit crimes and want to hurt others and want to steal from others. If we just do the right A, B, C, and D, we'll be able to get them to do right. For those that have been here in Old Baptist preaching for very long, which I think is pretty near everybody here almost, you see a problem with that. I can give somebody as a probation officer tools that can help them if they want to do right. If they want to do right, I can give them some tools to help them. But I can't give them the want to. The Lord has to do that. For it is God is the one who worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I realize I can't make somebody want to do right as a probation officer. The Lord has to do a work in the heart. And he's the only one that can do it. There's so much that is the way medical science has advanced in my lifetime. And there's so many things they can do with the physical heart. But there's never been a man alive other than the Lord Jesus Christ, God Almighty, the Holy Spirit of God that could solve man's spiritual heart problem. There's nobody, nobody in medical science that could take this heart of stone that we were conceived into this world with, that hated God, that hated the things of God, that didn't understand anything spiritual and fix that heart. But God did. And he took out our heart of stone and he put within us a heart of flesh with a love for God, with a desire to please him and to serve him and to love his people. And we need to work that out to the outside that others may see Jesus in us. And when we're blessed to do it, we say, Lord, you get all the honor. Lord, I praise thee. I wouldn't have wanted to do anything but by thy hand of mercy and grace and love upon me. Lord, I praise thee for what I was done with him. To be like the servant that says we're just unprofitable servants. We've done that which was our duty to do. You see, no matter how much we do in the service of God, he's done far more for me than I could ever do for him. So even when I've done everything to the best of my ability, he's still done more for me than I could ever do for him. That's the definition of unprofitable. He's put more into me that he can ever get out of it. So I'm an unprofitable servant. But what a blessing we feel when we've done something that pleases him and we feel his smiles upon us. 
we feel not pleased. You know, some federal judges aren't big on compliments, but if I can just get a little compliment from them, it means a lot too. I said, well, I please can do that. How much more when the Lord shows us that he's pleased with what we've done? What keeps us, if, if this is such a big deal to work out the salvation that Borning again that he put within us, that regeneration, if it's so important for us to work those things out and so important that we're to do it with fear and trembling, we kind of need to know what might keep us from doing that. And I'll tell you what keeps us from doing that is the flesh. The apostle Paul, who was willing to preach the gospel wherever the Lord led him, who was willing to spend and be spent, who was willing really to give his life for preaching the gospel. He was stoned and left for dead one time. Stoned so badly they thought he was dead. That's, that's a bad stoning. Can you imagine rock after rock after rock after rock being thrown at you? So you're so bad off, everybody looking around says, he's gone, he's dead. The Apostle Paul endured that. He was whipped with that cat of nine tails numerous occasions. He was beaten with rods, wood rods on numerous occasions. The Bible said a night and a day he spent in the deep. He was shipwrecked. He was out in the water shipwrecked. Or really not even shipwrecked out in the water. I probably wished he was on an island. But he suffered all that because he loved the Lord and he wanted to be obedient to him. But listen to what he would say in Romans chapter 7. He said, I know when I would do good, evil is present with me. That's the man I just described that endured all that for his service to the Lord and for his willingness to preach the gospel no matter what. But even that man said, when I would do good, evil is present with me. He would go on to say, for I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. He said, there's a battle in me. He said, when I want to do something good, I find myself not doing the good thing I wanted to do. He said, when I don't want to do bad, I find myself doing the bad thing I wanted to do. If, if Paul struggled that much, how much more me? How much more you? So the flesh can be the problem with us working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. He talks about letting our light shine that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God among whom you shine as lights in the world. He said in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, in the midst of a dark, wicked place among whom you shine as lights in the world. 
Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus would say, let your light so shine before me. The Lord's put a light within us in our hearts in the new birth, but he said, let it shine. What blocks that light? The flesh. The light the Lord put within us, that light will never go out because it's there by the power of God. But that light can be blocked. I've used the illustration here on numerous occasions. I could have a super bright flashlight up here and the flashlight's still on, the flashlight's still on, the flashlight's still on. But if I push it next to the pulpit, the light gets blocked. So the light's still on, but there's something blocking it and nobody can see the light. The light's not doing anything good to others. The flesh can block the light. We have that illustration in Judges chapter 7 where God would use not a military man, but a farmer. He starts out with 32,000 men and he's going to go against a host of over 135,000. The Lord winds up calling down this farmer's army to 300 against a host of 135,000. They surround the camp of the enemy in the middle watch of the night. In their right hand, they've got trumpets. In their left hand, they have lamps, torches, lamps within clay pictures. I always have trouble saying that word, pitcher. Like a pitcher of water, that's what I'm trying to say. I always have trouble. It's, when I say it, it sounds like a pitcher on the wall, but talking about a pitcher like you put water or something in. And they surround the camp of the enemy. They don't have a weapon, not an earthly weapon, but they don't need one because they got the power of God. And the Lord's going to win this battle. So on the command of Gideon, that farmer that the Lord used to show forth his mighty power and strength, on the command of Gideon, they blew, they blasted those 300 trumpets. They break the clay pitchers so that the enemy could see those 300 lamps all around them in the middle of the night. Now, the middle of the night, that's a time of darkness. Now, I'm going to tell you, when they saw those 300 lights, it made a difference to the enemy. They heard the blast of those 300 trumpets and the enemy got so scared they began to kill one another. And God gave Israel a tremendous and wondrous victory that day by the power of God. Man couldn't brag on that victory. The Lord did it. Just like we can't brag on anything that the Lord's blessed us to do. It's Him. It's God that worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. But those clay pitchers were blocking the light. Had they not broke the clay pitchers, the enemy would have never seen those 300 lamps. Our flesh can keep us, others, from seeing the light with us. Our flesh can keep us from working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. So how do we 
in this battle between the flesh and this inward man, the outward man, the flesh, and the inward man, this new man, this, this perfect man that 1 John 3 would call it, your seed remaineth in you and you cannot sin because you're born of God. That part of us doesn't sin. The inward man doesn't sin. The inward man's ready for heaven and immortal glory right now. It's already been cleansed by the blood of Christ. And when we breathe our last breath, our inward man with no change will immediately go to be with the Lord in heaven. <coughs> the inward man's not the problem. It's this old flesh that's the problem. So how do we get the inward man to show on the outside and not be blocked by the flesh? Well, there's some things that the Bible says that can help. Uh, part of it's just a plain old battle. You've got to beat down the flesh. You've got to feed the spiritual man. You've got to beat down the flesh. But let's, let's look at some critical things, a couple of critical things that I think are important. Let's go to Luke chapter 9. Verse 28. It said, it came to pass about eight days after these sayings, he, that is the Lord Jesus, took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. Jesus has gone into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah, Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. They're talking about his finished work on the cross of Calvary that he would accomplish. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. When they were away, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. Now get the picture here. The Lord Jesus goes into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, he was transfigured. Now if you'll look throughout the gospel accounts, and we're running out of time, but I could go to several verses where the Lord Jesus went to a mountain to pray. He did that numerous times, to a mountain to pray. <coughs> What's the view of a mountain? The view of a mountain is a high view. It's a high view on the mountain. It's a full view on the mountain. If you really want to see some stuff, you go up to the mountain and you'll have a high view. You'll have a full view. You'll have a far view. You can see far off. And you're going to have a clear view. So up on the mountain, you can see a lot. 
whole lot. The Lord Jesus went up into the mountain to pray. He could have prayed anywhere, but I think he was giving us a sweet picture of prayer. <clears throat> a lot of us, none of us here, have a mountain that's close to go pray on. A physical mountain. But I'm going to tell you, little child of God, whenever you pray, you're on the mountain. Whenever you pray and you communicate and you fellowship with your Lord, you're on a mountain. He can bless you with a high view. He can bless you with a full view. He can bless you with a far view. He can bless you with a clear view. When we get praying, he takes us to the mountain. The Lord Jesus, his physical appearance was nothing special. The prophet Isaiah would say, there's no beauty that we should desire. And it means he, he looked like an average Jewish man. But he was so much more than that. He was so much more glorious than that. But his glory was concealed on the inside. But on that mountain, as he prayed, Bible said he was transfigured before them. That Greek word is metamorpho. A metamorphosis happened. And the glory that was concealed was revealed. And they saw Jesus in his magnificent glory. What was on the inside came to the eye. I want to tell you, little child of God, when we pray, that inward man comes more to the outside. When we pray. And I'm going to tell you, there's many a times I've gotten down on my knees before Almighty God. And my inward man was way too much on the inside. And my flesh was beating me down. But when I got off my knees, after spending time with my Lord, that inward man had come way more than the outside. We look in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The context of this is they've been talking about the law service. They've been talking about Moses going up on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. And when Moses spent that time with the Lord up on that mountain, his face was so bright from being in the presence of the glory of the Lord for all that time for, I think it was 40 days. His face was so bright that when he comes down, the children of Israel said, we, we can't look at you, it's too bright. We need some sunglasses. So Moses put a veil on his face. 
The Old Testament law service, the Bible describes that in this chapter as the ministration of death. It's the ministration of condemnation because everybody's guilty of breaking that law. He said if, if that ministration of death was that glorious, that they had to put a mail on a veil on Moses' face to block the glory. How much more is the new covenant? This is not a ministration of death, but it's a ministration of life. <clears throat> How much more glorious is that? Then it gets down to this and says, now the Lord, this is verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 3. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. We love the liberty we have in the United States of America. And a lot of blood has been shed for the precious liberty that we have enjoyed. But I'm going to tell you, there's a, a liberty far above any liberty that this world could ever offer or any soldier could ever purchase with even the great sacrifice of being willing to give their life. And that's the liberty that comes from the Lord. He said, now the, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Now he's talking about the worship service of God. We'll still say, and you usually hear older brethren and sisters say it more than younger, but it's, it's a very good thing to say, very biblical thing to say if a brother's preached, say they had liberty. That brother had liberty. It means they preached the, the Holy Spirit of God was with them. It says, now the Lord is that spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But we are with open face, not with a veiled face, like they had to look at Moses, but we are with open face, beholding as in a glass. That word glass means a mirror. It's talking about the mirror of the gospel, the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for us, his finished work on the cross. But we are with open face, beholding as in a glass, as in a mirror of the gospel of the truth of the Lord, as in a glass, we're beholding. What are we beholding through this mirror of the gospel? We're beholding the glory of the Lord. Moses was blessed to see a representation of his glory. He said, we're blessed when we look in the mirror of the gospel, when we're reading the word of God and reading the gospel, when we're hearing the gospel preached in power and in demonstration of the spirit, we look in the mirror of the gospel into the glory of the Lord. And as we're doing that, we are changed into. That word changed is the same Greek word of when Jesus was transfigured. What was on the inside, his glory, came to the outside and was manifest. This is the same word. So what happens when we're blessed to look in the, the mirror of the gospel, 
as we're blessed through that mirror to look at the glory of the Lord and we're blessed to hear the gospel preached in power and demonstration of the Spirit. We're blessed to look into the glory of the Lord and we're changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now that doesn't mean when we're listening to preaching or even when we're blessed to, to read the good news of what Jesus did in the Word and the Holy Spirit is blessing us in that. This doesn't mean that we're more born again now than we were. The new birth and instantaneous act, that, that inward work that the Lord did when he mourned us again was a, was a one-time immediate event, but he sustains that life forever. We'll never get unborn again. He sustains that life. But it's not that we're more born again than we were, but it's that inward man gets drawn to the outside. And others can see it. We're looking forward to and, and praying as, as Brother Paul so humbly prayed for our meeting that's going to happen. We'll be blessed to worship the Lord three consecutive days. And what a blessing when we look through the mirror of the gospel. We hear preaching and power and demonstration of the Spirit for three days consecutively. We're blessed to look at the glory of the Lord. You think we're going to look more like our Lord at the end of the meeting or when we walk into it? <laughs> I'll tell you, I'm going to look more like the Lord at the end of it than at the beginning. And what a blessing that is. And just real quickly, just for a moment, I want to finish the couple of verses. And that helps to draw that inward man to the outside. And it's easier for us to hold forth the word of life when that, outward, that inward man has been drawn to the outside, when we've worked out, been blessed by the power of God to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But watch the flesh. Right after it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Oh, there the flesh comes back. There the flesh comes back. What's our flesh want to do? Murmur. What does our flesh want to do? Complain. Without murmurings and disputings. Being courteous, being compassionate, getting along. And then he goes into that you may be blameless and harmless. The sons of God without rebuke. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I'm not run in vain, neither labor in vain. I want to be the kind of faithful servant of the Lord. I, I want to be able to be one that would 
work out by the power that the Lord's worked within me to work out that salvation with fear and trembling that others may see. He's carrying the light of the Lord that it may show. What a blessing that is. He can just be pleased to look and the smile that we have pleased him. What a blessing. What an honor that is. God bless you, my prayer.